passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to... John Pollock and Wei Ting present the G1 Climax, Day 9. Um, yeah. Uh, we're, I mean, we're presenting a review of the Climax. We're not presenting the Climax. That would be a whatever title sponsor that they have. I don't you really just stomped all over my, my very NPR-like introduction to this experience. Was that what you were going for? I don't know what I was doing. How are you? I'm good. I'm, now you got to be curious who the actual sponsors are of this uh, G1 Climax. This logo that I keep seeing. I, I, and Kizna. Kiz, Kizna. Kizna. What are you looking at? I'm just looking at the logo. That's above the G1 Climax 28 logo. You know the title sponsor? The one that's oh, on never. all the turn, turnbuckles? Well, let's take a look at it. It's not Kazuna, is it? Um, it could be. I just can't even really read this. Okay, it's whatever. a very small logo. I can't even see it. It's it's so faint. I can't even read what's uh what's underneath it. I prefer Lawson's. Lawson. Yep, they're great. Yeah. Anyway, are you still are you still a survivor of the G one? That's what they're. They're asking you to be. That's the tagline oh. for this year's climax. Be a survivor. Are uh, you one? I'm surviving. I would say sure. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Destiny's Child is going to perform on the last night at Budokan. Ah, yes. Or Survivor. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Naito could come out and do his signal as the Eye of the Tiger. Oh, that'd be great. Tiger Mask will come out. Oh man, writes itself. They'll, they'll team together, of course. Yeah. Oh, this is great. You, you got to have Sayama out for this one. Yeah. You could have like just line up like Naito with Sayama <laughs> as you have Survivor playing Eye of the Tiger. And and that's the show. Show ends. They throw garbage at the stage. Like this is so lame. Mm. Get to the finals. Yeah. I've had a rough night. Um, Where are you, by the way? I'm in 1979. And, oh, I mean, uh, I, 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 mean, I mean, physically, where are you? Because you sound different. Uh, I am in, a, I am in a recording booth at the moment. That is not all that great. Uh, it's, it is what it is, as paint, Max Holloway would say. Paint the picture for us, for the listener. NPR like, please. Well, it's, um, it kind of is NPR-ish in here. I've got these tiny little plants that are made for, like action figures. They're so tiny. These plants. I will Instagram one of them. Uh, I have a little, uh, what's it called? You know those like whiteboards that you can write on? There's one attached to the desk next to me if I want to take any notes, though it's to my left side. I don't know how many left-handed people there are that would be using this recording booth of mine. Uh, but I'm in this, uh, this office space at the moment. So that's where I am at the moment. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Cool. 
Okay, yes. And now the baseball mogul update, by the way. Just a quick update. I went nuts on Wednesday night. I looked at my watch. I, I played this thing for over two hours on Thursday night. And 1970, 1978 was the worst season anyone could possibly envision. I My expansion team was awful. We managed to lose every game in the month of July. Every wow. single game. Wow. Could you imagine a team like that? We lost like 20 games in a row. Yeah, I don't even know if that's ever happened. I don't think it has. <laughs> so it was an awful season. So at the end of it, somehow I made money in that season. I don't know how. Picked up a few free agents. We had a better 1978. Okay, it was better. Not by a significant margin, but it was better. I was seeing improvements from players. And then in the final month of the season, like we're way, we're way out of the playoffs. Dave Steeb, my most improved player year over year, he's got a winning record as a pitcher, having his best season, 21 years old, torn rotator cuff. Oh. Guess how many days he's going to be on the disabled list? Mm. I mean, with medicine the way it was probably in the yes, 70s? Yes, do do take mm. that into account. I'm I'm going to guess two months. 400 days. <laughs> He's gone for the next season. Wow. One of my best pitchers, my number two pitcher, is gone for the entire season. <laughs> so this forced me to have to stay up another hour. He's I spent like an hour in my offseason preparing my team for 1979. I had to break my budget to go out and sign another quality starter. So now I'm over budget for next season. I'm not going to make money in 1979. Oh. And... I hope no fans are listening in 1979. We're not making the playoffs. I know we're not. <laughs> so it's, Poor guy. But I have found the true gem of starting this uh, expansion franchise. Number one, I can go unlimited years, it appears. I, I've, I'm into my third season, so that doesn't appear to be a problem. Now, every June is the amateur draft way. Are you familiar with an amateur draft? No idea, but I could uh, understand. It is where I get to draft uh, players that are 17, 18 years of age, right out of high school, some of them. And these are all real players. So I have the benefit of knowing where all these people, who's going to be a, a prospect worth signing. Mm -hmm. Dude, in this one amateur draft in 1978, I drafted number one overall, Tony Gwynn. The second round... Maybe you've heard of him. 18-year-old prospect named Cal Ripken Jr. Oh, come then on. I, He's not going to last. Up, yeah, it, it was funny. It's like his his conditioning level is something like it's not like 100 or something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that this guy's going to uh, be an everyday player for me one day. Yeah, Andy Van Slyke, fifth round, just for the hell of it, I drafted Joe Carter at 18 years of age. Mm. So my farm system... I've got the greatest single-A team ever. If you're in Dunedin in 1979, I've got like f three future Hall of Famers playing every day in front of 500 people. I'm running NXT, essentially, with Shinsuke Nakamura in Largo, Florida, in front of 200 people. But like you said, though, the, the stats don't always pan out. Not always. I mean, you, it, I'm, I'm figuring that at least one of them is going to turn out to be a gem. Well, I can't imagine history will be 
that far from reality. So much of it, though, I think will depend on your guidance, John, and your coaching, because it's that back to the future thing. You can go back in time and you can really screw things up. So you might turn this Cal Ripken, Ripken dude into maybe a very kind of, I don't know, who knows who, who's back Lazy, there. Yeah. needs time off all the time, disabled list. Yeah. I'll say, when I took over this team in 1977, unlike uh, John Allerud in 1993, I got a glowing front page article about myself, and the players were ecstatic to have someone of my knowledge <laughs> yeah. running this team. I took a screen capture of it, and I meant to send it to you, and I forgot <laughs> Like don't this, don't send it to me. Please Instagram all this. Share it with the world. Okay, I will. I think I think that's going to be... I have no reason to post stuff on my Instagram. It's very rare. Sure, so I th- does anybody ever have any reason? No, not really. You, you've you really been uh, letting your Instagram slide by. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, here's the thing is, uh, I have all these photos that I meant to uh, put up there for my trip, and I've just like had such a backlog. And I, I like to have my Instagram like in chronological order so that when I look back, things aren't out of place. So I've just been waiting time for 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 time to just like like put fifty photos up at once. You also have the pressure of also being clever because you always post something that's really funny with ever with whatever you post on Twitter or Instagram. Like oh, you're wow. a near flawless tweeter. I feel <laughs> like there's never like I'll throw out plugs and stuff, and it's like oh, whatever. Shut the fuck up. You. You're a quality tweeter. You're one of maybe five people that I might actually randomly just look at. What did they tweet recently? Oh, my because God. Because you usually make me chuckle because I can imagine you uh, delivering this line. And you're you're much more clever than myself. So I, I think that you have a bit more pressure than myself who has uh, no inhibitions about just sending whatever out. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's so not true. I think you're very funny on Twitter as well. Mm. Um but it's uh, uh it's I, I use it for both purposes, obviously. But uh, I guess there is some pressure, uh, so maybe I will quit. This is a free show of the G One podcast. Oh, you're right. All these people are listening in. <laughs> I just realized that myself too. Oh my god, uh, this is free for all. Um, we're not going to do this today. I thought maybe on Saturday, uh, because there's a well, there's a one day break before Monday show. Uh, Saturday, maybe we could do an update on our top five matches. See yeah, if it's adjusted at all. Yeah. So let's do that on Saturday after that B block show. Uh, but we're going to get in today today's show. Um, do go up and check out Ask Away if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. If you enjoy our witty banter, there's over two hours of it uh, for your listening pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, some of you guys might have had issues downloading uh, the show earlier today. That issue appears to have been fixed, so just go ahead and refresh your feeds and enjoy all two hours of John and I answering all of your questions. Friday's G1 A Block show took place from the coastal city of Hamamatsu in Shizuoka. <laughs> You're going to know your Japanese geography very well by the end of yeah, this, I think. Yeah, I think we should do some history of all of these cities that they're going to be going through the uh the final stretch here of the G1 mm-hmm. as we are at the midway point coming up. Uh, actually, like right at the midpoint. That's right. Yeah. Halfway through this show would have been the midpoint. Yeah. Michael Elgin, Minoru Suzuki was our first tournament match of the day. Both men with four points and Elgin placing a heavy emphasis on his right arm. This has been the continual uh, injury that I think has been the dominant one throughout this. Maybe Juice Robinson's hand as well. But to me... Elgin has been incorporating it. I would say Elgin and Juice Robinson have been the most significant uh, injury-ridden players of the tournament. 
Yeah, I would say maybe Juice, maybe even a little bit more, just because he he came into it, and it's such a big part of it. I think his story, but Elgin's been doing a great job as well. Absolutely, Suzuki. First of all, if you want to go back and watch uh, some of the interviews after uh, Thursday's show, it starts off with a Suzuki promo. And his, the first words out of his mouth, because he's hyping up the Elgin match for the next day, and he just calls Elgin, you pig bastard. <laughs> and he just rides this guy that he, he has such a short neck, and he's going to compress his neck even further with his pile driver. And then he kicks all the cameramen down, saying, don't look square at me. Shoot me from your knees. So you've got these cameramen on their knees shooting <laughs> Suzuki up, and it's just the most bizarre thing. It's just Suzuki being Suzuki. Uh, and then later on, Juice Robinson cuts a, an even better promo, I thought, mm. than the one that everyone else was talking about. He was just fantastic. Like, this was the kind of... The other one was a super entertaining promo. This was like a money promo. Which ones? Are, which other one are you referring to? The one that got circulated everywhere where he was... When he had just broken his oh, hand. Oh, okay, yes. And he talked about going into San Francisco with fireworks up his ass and everything like that like that was a very comical promo and it was very well done but this one was just it was like a main event level promo from juice robinson and it was outstanding a main event promo from a guy complaining about not having won any matches thus far in the g1 have you watched it i have yeah it's just outstanding it just puts over how significant the g1 is i mean he's the bloody advocate for Kenny Omega and how great he is. And this guy facing the reality that he's still not at the level of Kenny Omega. And if you're not at his level, what are you doing here? If you can't get a win in the G1, you shouldn't even be here. And he's going to have to face that reality if he loses the rest of his matches. He's going to have to go home. His dad's going to pick him up. And he's going to go on the couch and play tiddlywinks. Oh, damn. Never played that. I didn't get into tiddlywinks either. I don't even know what it is. It's not something to aspire to, clearly. It's based not on Juice Robinson. It's no baseball mogul, I guess. Um, yeah, I, and I wonder how much guidance he even has about any type of real storyline, or is it just the fact that he's, you know, he, he's being told, "Hey, you're losing all these matches. Uh, now you got to improvise and speak something uh, about it, about what your character is going through." Uh, I would imagine it's very minimal. Yeah, I, I imagine so too. But he is—he's uh, fantastic, not just on uh, these backstage promos, but of course on being the elite as well. These are also promos that it's not as though he's preparing for this promo. He's coming out right after a match. Mm-hmm. He's still on off the high of he just had a, a tag match. And then he's coming to the or I guess this would have been right after the Omega match. I mean, so he's coming off that match and then he's just cutting this promo, which he probably gave a few minutes of thought as he's walking backstage of what direction he's going in and just freestyling the majority of it. Yeah. Back to the match here. Elgin is clutching his arm. Uh, significantly damaged here. All the offense is coming from his left side. And Suzuki then applies a Kimura to the left arm, his good arm. Elgin finally hits this Hail Mary shot with a right forearm, but then is just shaking his arm in pain from delivering this blow. Uh, Again, Suzuki keeps going back to the Kimura on the left arm. Elgin grabs him and hits this very loose Tiger Bomb, which Kelly notes by stating, there's no way he could have got the full grip for this Tiger Bomb because of the damage to his right arm. This is the best uh, the best matches of Kelly's career that he is calling, I think, are concentrated in this G1. I think he's doing the best work of his career. 
He's been great. He and Rocky, I've really enjoyed together. I am not always into listening to the English commentary. Uh, I usually would go back and forth. This tournament, I've listened to the English commentary every day and find it very enjoyable. Well, you did up until a certain point on this show because they were not present for a good portion of this show. And I really missed them. So uh, they have been fantastic. I'd love to see this team continue. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, Suzuki hit his crazy dropkick right to the face. And then Elgin comes back. He went for the delayed vertical suplex, but Suzuki countered into a rear naked choke, flipped them around for the gotch pile driver, and pinned him in 14 minutes and 10 seconds. I really enjoyed this match. This totally, uh, I was having a coffee at the same time. I didn't even need a coffee. This would have fully woken me up with a shot of caffeine to my veins, this match. I thought it was a tremendous, large, uh, one milk, one sugar match to start off the day. Mm, yeah, I, I totally see that. I went large, one milk. I thought it was a good match. I, and I I really considered it sort of a standard sampling of a Suzuki match. Some brawling, some submissions, some great facial expressions. Uh, I thought, though, what stood out to me was the selling from Michael, Michael, Michael Elgin here. Um, but I'll say, despite him doing such a good job, I don't necessarily feel like the crowd ever really got behind him. And I think that's partially because the crowd loves Suzuki so much. So much so that, like, here's a man that's beating up another man with a broken arm, and yet they're still chanting for Suzuki. <laughs> so I think that aspect might be a little bit unfortunate because I thought otherwise the match was very well done. Who would you say is... Maybe let's have this conversation afterwards, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Let's let's discuss at the end of this who's having the best tournament of the A block. Okay. Okay, well... Yes. Think about that uh, while we go through these matches. Hangman Page and Evil was next. uh, Another uh, pair with four points each. And it was Hangman Page's 27th birthday on Friday. What a youngin. Him and Braden Harrington sharing like... Oh my God. Born one day apart. Is Braden 27? I thought he was 26. I'm pretty sure he's 27. Okay. Yeah, you might be right. Imagine that. Hangman Page and Braden were born on the same day. (laughs) That's incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Page drops him throat first on the guardrail, and Evil grabs him by the leg, hands him off to Marty Asami, kicks at the knee of Page, and then Evil runs him into the barricades three consecutive times, wraps the chair around Page's neck. It's not only not an injury spot, it's now like a full-out comedy spot where Kevin Kelly is calling a guy hitting a home run. Going, going, gone is his neck. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's ever really been all that devastating No, it hasn't. Page came back, running dropkick, German suplex, and then hit the moonsault to the floor. Audience was getting into it with both men selling a lot. He missed a moonsault in the ring, landing on his feet, and followed up with a standing shooting star. And then Evil suplexed him from the top with Page landing on his chest. Evil's favoring the knee, goes for a German with Page landing on his feet, goes to the apron, buckshot lariat for a big near fall. This was a great sequence and led to... uh, what sounded like the first Hangman chant we have gotten in any of his matches. We've had Page chants. Okay. Well, they're they're fully embracing the nickname then. STO gets blocked. There was a headbutt by Evil and a lariat for a near fall. Crowd was really picking up at this point. And then a match ending, everything is evil, STO at 15 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, I, I thought really solid effort from these two. I go uh, large in a milk on this one. And I thought... Another really great match from from Page. Yes, he's been really impressive. 
especially, I mean, you can really tell again how much he's really connecting with this Japanese audience. This this audience is cheering for him probably a lot more than what I think his his role is designed to to be right now. So it shows that you know they're really uh, recognizing his effort. I felt like for most of this match, there was really not a whole lot that stood out to me at all, and I also didn't necessarily feel like the crowd until the last quarter was all that engaged. I thought Evil was solid, but again, really nothing special for, to me here. I go medium, one milk, one sugar for this one. Bad luck, Fale versus Jay White. This one didn't look promising to me on paper. We had Fale with two points, Jay White with six, coming off his first loss of the tournament to Minoru Suzuki. Before the bell rang, uh, Jay White snuck to the floor, attacking Tangaloa to try and take him out. They fought into the crowd. Jay White was raining down strikes. He tossed one of the young boys on top of Fale on the seats. Tangaloa came up to Jay White and said, You are what you eat. Burn. Uh, no, he said dick after. Oh, so there was... You are what you eat, dick. Yeah, still still a quite... What a burn. Oh, so it wasn't just a lame joke. It was also uh, rife with homophobia as well. So that's nice. Um... Fale leaves him laying amongst these chairs. Uh, White returns. He's attacking the knee. Goes for the Blade Runner. It's blocked. And then White runs Fale into the corner, taking out Red Shoes. On cue, Tangaloa comes in and jumps White. Tamatonga shows up with a chair. He did generate a lot of heat, as I think the audience saw where this was going. White blocked the gun stun. Fought off Tangaloa with a chair. Low-blowed Fale. Calls for the Blade Runner when Tonga comes out of nowhere with the gun stun. And Red Shoes comes to right as Fale hits the bad luck fall, pinning Jay White at 11 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, this is one of those matches, I do, given where the, the faction is going with, with Fale and the Gorillas and where Jay White's character is going, you would never on your own make this match. But the G1 necessitates that you have to have combinations like this. I thought this was a very disappointing match. I would probably put it right near the bottom of G1 matches, to be honest with you. I do as well. Uh, I thought especially, you know, I, 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 it's not like the heel-heel interaction is necessarily the problem, in my opinion. I feel That like can you, work. Yeah. It can work in the right circumstances. There were some, like glimpses here of, of that being a really interesting dynamic of having Jay White, you know, being able to scout all the heelish tactics that the, uh, the Bullet Club were, were going to employ because he thinks that way himself. Uh, but then there were just like a large, there was a large portion of this match that to me was just slow, was not all that interesting, didn't really build that much drama or story. Um, to me, the highlight was seeing Jay White uh, taking out all three members of the Bullet Club. To what aim, I'm not necessarily sure. You know, you're almost baby facing Jay White yep. here. Um, but beyond that, I thought the match was either really boring or really predictable. The lack of crowd reaction. And the lack of commentary when Jay White ran Folly into the uh, the English commentators certainly did no favors. Did we did we talk about that? Yeah. So during this match, I'll be honest, it wasn't on my notes because until they came on midway through the next match, dude, I didn't even notice they were gone. It was really? like, how long has it been quiet here? So I can't, I won't lie, I didn't even notice the commentary went out. But yeah, Jay White threw Folly to the broadcasters area and. They were wiped out, and they would have audio problems the rest of the night coming in and out. 
Uh, much to Kevin Kelly's frustration, uh, Rocky Romero apparently had to go and play around with the, I guess the audio mixer. Uh Um, but yeah, they were gone for most of this match. They were gone for most of this match and a good chunk of the next match too. So, uh, I kind of feel for them because like we said, we said they've done a great job so far. And really to me, my experience of this match, I feel like was lessened with the lack of commentary. I go small one milk for this one. Small coffee. Hold the milk. Damn, that's that's the lowest we can go. Or can you go even lower than a small dark? Uh, well, yeah, you could get a slap in the face maybe uh, for your order. I don't know. I don't know what's lower than a. Well, this a is this pot. is your lowest rated match thus far, is it not? Yeah, this is at the bottom for me. I, and I I really looked this over, even with some of the the bad finishes and such. Um, I also add that with, you know, uh, given where Jay White is. I, I kind of expected more out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there were clever ways you could have done this with yeah. like, the two big rule breakers, almost doing like a spy versus spy thing where they're, they're each trying to outmaneuver the other, outthink the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you could have had a really fun layout of a match here, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, this one's near the bottom for me. Uh, I'll yeah. have to Likewise. contrast later. Togi Makabe, Hiroshi Tanahashi followed that. Uh, Makabe with four points, Tanahashi with six. This is when Kevin Kelly popped on a couple minutes into the match, and there was no Rocky Romero at first. And Kelly uh, updates us of what happened when White threw Fale into their area with their audio going out. The two traded punches on the turnbuckle. We had a Makabe chant. Romero then finally uh, shows up. He identifies these two as the most mainstream stars on the roster. Makabe went for this power slam that looked very scary when Tanahashi went up and looked like he was coming right down on his head, but uh, landed safely, thankfully. Tanahashi came back, big slaps, Makabe with a power lariat, sends him down, and then they had a struggle on the turnbuckle with Makabe going for the spider German suplex, ramming Tanahashi's head into the post, and then Tanahashi back elbowing Makabe down into the tree of woe. It ended with Makabe hitting a belly-to-belly suplex, but missed with the King Kong knee drop, Tanahashi hit him with a sling blade for a one count, standing high fly flow, and then the proper version for the win in 12 minutes. And Tanahashi improves to four and one with eight points on top of the eight block. I thought another good, pretty standard match on this show. Some good comebacks from Tanahashi. Uh, Makabe, you know, I felt like he he played a good dominating figure, but didn't feel like that big of a threat. I mean, overall, my lasting opinion of this one was that I could tell that it was solid. But again, like a lot of these A-block matches, didn't leave much of an impression on me. So I go medium, one milk, one sugar for this. Yeah, same as same uh, rating as me. A little... Yeah, I've seen these two have some blow-away matches together. And I just don't know if Makabe can necessarily do those blow-away matches anymore. Like, mm-hmm. this guy is definitely up there in age and probably racked with injuries over the years that I just... Um, mm. yeah, I think if you have a reference point of these two from years gone by, um, this one certainly didn't hit that level. Kazuchika Okada, Yoshihashi, the main event that everyone was here for. Okada with his four points, Yoshihashi coming off his first win of the G1 with two points. Okada came out with his balloons, handed one to Yo, who was on the, the Japanese team. And Kelly brings up the history of these two teaming together in the tag league as members of chaos and... The fact that this was the match at Wrestle Kingdom 6 when they had gone off for excursions and they came back and Okada got a really quick win over Yoshihashi and that propelled him uh, to win the IWGP title the following month 
from Hiroshi Tanahashi. And there would be a callback to that match uh, in this particular outing as well. Mm -hmm. So started off with Okada throwing his shirt at Yoshihashi and kind of playing this big brother role throughout the beginning of the match where he's just antagonizing Yoshihashi and beating the shit out of this dude. He took him down and... I guess what prompted the anger was Yoshihashi sending him into the guardrail and Okada comes back, throws him into the chairs, whips them on top of him. Yoshihashi's grabbing his bad shoulder and then as Yoshihashi struggles to the ring, Okada hits him with a draping DDT off the guardrail and they were really pushing how serious Okada has appeared and he's serious about winning this tournament and he's not putting up with any of Yoshihashi's shit tonight. I thought so, yeah. I thought it was uh, as much as that as it was kind of um, them, you know, despite being uh, stablemates and I, I suppose uh, sometimes friends, not necessarily treating each other with that type of respect and more so trying to encourage the other to take it seriously. So Yoshihashi makes it back into the ring. Kelly's audio gets cut, so it's just Rocky Romero. Then Kelly comes back and he's telling the production people, don't touch anything. We've got one match left to go. Yeah, F you, off. you could tell he was pretty frustrated. I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. I mean, this he's he's been like probably all flustered the last hour of this broadcast, not knowing what's going out, what's not going out, and they were they were they seem to be fine. And then I guess evidently these guys are still working on stuff, and then his audio is getting cut out during the main event. So I can understand that frustration level. Yeah, certainly when like I I think. You know, it it can seem like this is such a big deal, and I think New Japan is trying to make such a great, uh, so many great strides into their English market. I mean, something like this just feels awfully unprofessional, and I'm sure that's what part of the frustration is about. Romero recalled Okada and Yoshihashi having their match at Wrestle Kingdom 6, and Romero says, watching that match live, I thought Yoshihashi would be the star of those two. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yep. Poor Yoshihashi. Okada's in control for a long stretch of time. He extends his arms, but it's not the usual zoom out for the Rainmaker signal. And instead of the traditional Rainmaker that we're used to seeing, he hit the Flying Rainmaker, which is the version of the Rainmaker he used to beat Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom 6. But this time, Yoshihashi kicked out. Mm-hmm, the original Rainmaker. Yes, yeah, so that was a callback to, to that match. And a very... Very flat finish, I will say, to that match. It was you. You would not watch that match thinking you were watching the the savior of New Japan who would be carrying this company for the next uh, decade to come. Mm-hmm. Then he goes for another rainmaker. Yoshihashi counters with his own lariat. This I won't say woke everybody up, but it certainly heightened the audience into Yoshihashi as he demonstrated his fire and started hitting his offense. He missed with a swanton. Okada hit with, hit him with several versions of drop kicks, and then a Rainmaker gets countered into the butterfly lock that Yoshihashi keeps applied for at least two or three minutes before Okada finally makes it to the rope. The shoulder tape comes off, and then a giant slap is delivered to Okada. Yoshihashi uh, forces Okada to just scream out, takes a super kick, and then Yoshihashi hits this big suplex that a lot of the audience bought into. Karma gets countered with a tombstone, discus rainmaker, both men are down, Okada lifts up Yoshihashi, hits the regular version of the rainmaker, and pins him at 19 minutes and 39 seconds. Dare I say that Yoshihashi is on a two-match roll here in the G1? 
You can say it. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I thought this was his best match in the tournament thus far. Um, I think maybe even one of Okada's best thus far, really. I, I'll be honest. I don't think Okada has been... He's been t- not good at all. Like, I, he's been fine. Yes, he's been Okada. Yes, he's but he's been not fine. Big, but he's not, he's not a, my top two performers in the A block. Probably not even top three. Certainly not. And that, I think, again, is part of this broken Okada character. The fact that he's not necessarily the same guy that he was. Uh, and I, I believe it's an intentional, uh, you know, uh, something he's actually trying to do to make us feel the difference when he finally does become the rainmaker again, and that he that he's able to pull off these, you know, four star, five star matches. Right now, he's kind of operating in the medium level, I would say. So this was a match certainly more about Yoshihashi. They gave him a lot here. I love how each time you thought Okada was about to begin his comeback, you had Yoshihashi, of all people, have, who, who seemed to have Okada well-scouted, and he would stop it with a super kick or something like that. I thought it even had me getting into the near falls at the end. And when I, I think that's an incredible feat when you're talking about Yoshihashi versus Okada, the fact that I could believe that Yoshihashi could beat this guy. So I think it took you know Okada operating at this, uh, I would say, maybe like a 70% level, to make wins from guys like Yoshihashi that much more believable. So it kind of like this was really Yoshihashi's best best chance to have like an even match with him. Mm, I think he delivers some great fire. I just, I, I, I think so many of his moves just look really weak. I think the karma kind of sucks. The butterfly lock kind of sucks. His swanton and headhunter don't look that great either. Um but, you know, I'm getting the sense that kind of these occasional near wins over big guys are sort of the ceiling that we can expect from him. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, I didn't enjoy this match. I, I did enjoy it. I go large, one milk, one sugar. I went XL on this one. No additives. Um, I don't know. This The thing with the Yoshihashi character is that this guy feels like he's a train wreck. You know what I mean? From his hair, he's got like the he, letters are peeling off of his knee pads. He he's, just looks it, like a slacker. He looks like crap, and it's it's kind of indicative of this guy's. Yeah, it's like the story of this match. I thought the announcers did so great going back to their history. Like they essentially both went off. They came back at the Tokyo Dome in 2012, and they were essentially at the same career points and one guy took off and took over this company and the other has been this slacker that has not realized any of that potential and been written off but throughout all of this he's been watching Okada and he's been preparing for an inevitable match with this guy and here he took this guy to the limit and I think also backed up the story of Okada that here he is back at square one with the guy he started out with and this is beginning the the renaissance of Okada in this G1 was going back to his starting point, beating this guy who brought a hell of a bigger fight to him than he did in 2012. And I, I just I really enjoyed the story element of this match as well. So that's why I went XL here. I thought, yeah, uh, really outstanding match. Definitely Oshihashi's best of the G1. You know, you talk about how this might be the the beginning of his renaissance, Okada's renaissance. I mean, I feel like we've been saying that for the past couple matches ever since he's been winning. Do we really get... Are we seeing that that playing out, though, in terms of story? The fact that there's there's any indication that this guy will is on his way towards fully changing back into the old Rainmaker? You're getting a lot less of the goof, uh, Okada. He's not doing that, that yabba-dabba-doo bullshit. He's not doing... Still got the balloons. Still yeah, weird. He's... His promos are still pretty weird. 
but they're emphasizing that. Like, there was the moment in his last match where he got that serious look on his face. And then here, it was uh, almost from the get-go, after he was uh, being disrespected by Yoshihashi, that he turned off all the bullshit. So I think that they are trying, and maybe people are reading a bit too much into it, but I, I feel that that is the story being told here that you're going to get um, throughout the next uh, week or so. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know if it's as clear to me yet, but uh, we're still only halfway through the tournament, so I guess there's still a lot of room to for him to, to, to evolve. I thought this was one of the better A-Block shows. I enjoyed those first two matches a bit more than you did. Uh, I thought a really good main event. Um that said, also featured one of the worst matches of the G1 as well in the middle here, but I'll take it, um, given there was more good than bad on this show. Um, so I, I enjoyed the card overall. I thought it was fine. I, I didn't, it honestly, it didn't really stand out to me amongst the other A block matches. And part part of that could be because I think B block has been delivering so much more now that mm-hmm. as the further we get into the tournament, the more the contrast, I think, is apparent between B block and A block. I mean, I just remember leaving some of those B block shows with a lot more kind of to get excited about. And, uh, you know, it's it's more than once now where I'm watching these matches and a lot of them to me just kind of exist without necessarily creating any type of special memories in my head. So yeah, I thought this was just a, a fine standard show. So in the A block standings, uh, the big two are Evil and Tanahashi on top with eight points. Then the next level is Jay White, Okada and Suzuki with six points. Michael Elgin, Togi Makabe, and Bad Luck Fale have four points each. And at the bottom is Yoshihashi and Hangman Page with two points. Yeah, from what I gather, I believe Hangman and Yoshihashi are both pretty much out of contention right now, even with the draws to the other other guys. Um, But it seems like everything else is pretty wide open. Yeah, and conversely, I mean, Juice is like right on the bubble of being eliminated over on the B-block side. And the B-Block will resume on Saturday. And we've got Tamatonga taking on Zack Sabre Jr. Juice Robinson versus Toru Yano as Juice Robinson looks for his first two points. I think that match is actually going to be pretty great. I think so, too. Yeah, I look forward to that. Tomohiro Ishii against Kota Ibushi, which, um, get your XL out. I cannot imagine that being under an XL. Mm. Hiroki Goto. Versus Tetsuya Naito. Goto's been having a phenomenal tournament, as mm-hmm. has Naito. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't think they're getting a ton of credit in the B block because it's so loaded. But that should be really tremendous. And then Kenny Omega against Sonata. Awesome. So, yeah. Really that's loaded main, lineup for that's, Saturday. That's the main event? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, I, that card sounds fantastic. Sonata's so, second consecutive main event. Good for him. Shall we uh, go through? Uh, you asked who who I think was having the best uh, A block uh, so far. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I'm. I think Michael Elgin has really been a great standout. I mean, again, not a guy who's been given too much of a prominent story, but I think he's really been somebody who's been impressive. I would certainly rank him up there as the man who might be the most consistent. Page is also very great as well. Um, now, I I know. I mean, Tanahashi, Okada. Jay White, I mean, I think he's been given a big role, but I personally haven't seen, you know, I'm not as big of a fan of of him as maybe some some people are. I I would give it to Elgin thus far. Uh Minoru Suzuki of course is also always a lot of fun to watch, but as far as consistency and 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 uh just, you know, somebody you can count on to deliver interesting, exciting matches, I go Michael Elgin. 
I'm also going with Michael Elgin. Um, my second would be Tanahashi, but I also look at the matches Elgin has gotten out of, like, look at his opponents. Yoshihashi, he got his first really great match, I would argue, in two years in the G1. Um, with Jay White, really tremendous. With Hangman Page, that was a great match. With Evil, um, Elgin, to me, uh, he hasn't had a bad match this tournament. Um, yeah, and Tanahashi would be my, my second. I, I think he's been having a really good uh, tournament on the A side as well. Let's go to our G1 Climax 28 contest report and see our updated rankings. And thanks again to Chris Angler for compiling these like really quickly. Like almost as soon as the show's done, the guy's doing this. And I hold, hate to, to kind of keep him to to that uh, schedule, but he's he's been volunteering his time and devoting it all. So thank you again, Chris. We have one lone person at the very top after day nine. Matt Girardi sits atop at 35 points. Wow. And then uh, below him, we have pretty much a six-way tie for second. Um, Brakowski, Hank, Beef, Beef, Matt, Ludeman, Matthew Smith, Sanru22 all have 34 points. And then a lot more people have 33. How am I doing? Well, let me tell you how I'm doing. 35. Uh, let me see here. Way. I'm at 28 points. So seven points behind the top. Rando bot, Rando bot, Rando bot, which is of course uh, Chris's uh, random selections. Twenty one, so still sitting uh, at above twenty. Wow, Rando bot is uh, he's getting beat now. Yeah, as far as uh, predictions from our uh, contests about today's card, forty six percent of people thought Evil was going to beat Hangman Page. Ninety four percent of you thought Okada was going to beat Yoshihashi. 87% thought Tanahashi was going to beat Makabe. 59% thought Minoru Suzuki was going to beat Michael Elgin. And 40% expected Bad Luck Fale to beat Jay White. So, uh, a couple upsets there. Oh, that's that's uh, interesting to note. All right. Well, that's going to bring an end to our special free edition of the G1 podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we will be doing reviews of all the remaining uh, G1 events uh, up at postwrestlingcafe.com. We'll have a show up on Saturday afternoon, as well as another show on Monday um, as the G1 goes into the final two weeks, the second half of the G1, uh, with everything uh, picking up significantly in the final week, heading into the final three nights at Budokan Hall. Tomorrow on the free feed, of course, if you're listening to us on that, Eggshell's podcast companion comes out. And who's a, who's a guest on that, John? Uh, he's going to be joined by Pat Laprod to chat about some of the Tokyo Dome cards from 1994, as well as the two people behind the Pro Wrestling Eve promotion who will be on with Chris chatting about the All Japan Women's uh, Mega Event from November of 1994. So three guests on the show Saturday with Chris. Big Egg Wrestling Universe is what they'll be chatting about. Many A show that many consider to be one of the best of all time. So do listen to that. Uh, as well, our friends at the British Wrestling Experience on their feed will have a special covering the World of Sports shows that will be airing tomorrow. So lots of stuff to check out over the weekend. Uh, three big shows coming out on Saturday. So uh, that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in. You can go to postwrestling.com, join up at postwrestlingcafe.com, and we'll speak with you on Saturday.